Well, good morning, Rethink of Life. You guys doing good today? All right. Hey, do me a favor and give those that are watching us right now a warm round of applause and welcome them into our worship experience. I love that technology because uh, in the summer as people are traveling and on vacation and going to see grandma and grandpa and all those good things that we do during the summer, it's a great way to stay connected and we hope you'll take advantage of that and download our app if you don't have our app, make sure that's on your phone, it's a great way to stay connected with us. Well, it is awesome to see what God is doing, and we just had an amazing time of worship, and as you just heard, a lot of exciting things going on in the life of our church, and specifically when you leave today, make sure you get one of those handouts that we're going to be um, giving you, because it really does give some detailed explanation about the exciting serve day that we're going to be having on the 14th, and it's just going to be an amazing time as we join forces and stack hands with over 750 churches across the U.S., that are serving their cities in different ways and at different capacities. And so we're going to be joining forces with the body of Christ all over the nation. And so that's just awesome to see what God is going to do in and through that time together. So make plans. It's a family-friendly event as we serve our city together. We're in a series, and I don't think there's really any greater way to demonstrate and to show um, really God's love than through serving but in this series called Our Summer of Love, that's really what we're all about. It's, it, we're, we're really just learning how to be better when it comes to loving better and shining brighter for the glory of God. In fact, I don't know about you, but I can speak for myself. I need to be a better lover. I need to know how to love people better and to shine brighter in my own personal life. Turn to your neighbor, look at him and say, you need to be a better lover. <laughs> because we all could stand you know, a little uh, room for improvement in our lives when it comes to this subject of love. And I don't know, I guess for some reason, maybe God just likes to have his own sense of humor when it comes to how he teaches us on how to be better lovers. I think there's no greater way to really learn how to be a better and more effective lover than being around people who are hard to love. You know what I'm saying? How many of you know some hard-to-love kind of people. Let me see your hands. We all know those kind of people. You might be sitting next to one. Who knows? I have no idea. But we all can testify to the fact that we know who they are, and there are typically four kinds of people that often uh, we associate with on a day-by-day basis. Some are in our family, some of it maybe maybe friends at school, some obviously in the workplace, people that we're surrounded with in our work environments. And so there are typically four kinds of people that we find uh, it, it at times to be challenging when it comes to showing love to those kinds of people. And the first is, is really just kind of plain and simple. It's the difficult kind of people. We've all been around difficult kind of people. I mean, when you think about it, we're surrounded by difficult people each and every day. And you know the difficult kind of people are those uh, just hard to get along with kind of people. You know what I'm saying? They're rude uh, they're obnoxious. They're just, um, I don't know, I kind of like to say it this way. They're just a few fries short of a Happy Meal. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they're just, just something's not right. They're just difficult people. They just kind of are like that thorn in your side. And then there's another group of people, and that's the demanding kind of people. Now, we all have people in our lives who are a little uh, over the top, when it comes to just their demands, you know, they're those type who just kind of breathe down your neck 
You know, it could be a, a co-worker, maybe your supervisor, boss, you know, it could be your parents, you know, who knows? I have no idea, but at the end of the day, we all know there are demanding people in our lives. They're just pushy. They're just those self-centered, uh, self-focused kind of people. It's their way or the highway. And then you have those disappointing people. And these are the hard ones. These are the people that you thought were your friend. These were the people who walked out. These are the people who portrayed you. These are the people who really just broke your heart. They just kind of left you high and dry. They just, they just, you know, for whatever reason, you know, they just, they just broke your heart. And as a result, this person whom you thought was your friend, that you thought was for you and with you, has now abandoned you. And they're just disappointed. Um, they're, they're, they're people who are, who are just disappointing in your life. And then there's a, another type of uh, person that's often very difficult to show love to, and that's the destructive kind of person. Now, the only way I know how to describe these kind of people, they're just toxic. You know, these are people who have an agenda. These are people who are trying to tear you down in order to build themselves up. You know, these are people who just want to divide rather than unite. These are just destructive, self-seeking, and they're very intentional when it comes to destroying or discrediting uh, who you are, your reputation, your integrity. They're, they're just destructive kind of people. So when you think about these type of people, we're surrounded by them all the time. I'll never forget when we were um, going through the process of uh, trying to purchase some land that we had under contract, um, and we were at Orange County, and you, know, you have to go through a process. You go through public hearings, and then we finally went before uh, the county staff, and then we went you know, before all the commissioners, and it was, a, it was a big meeting. Some of you actually were there. You remember it. And uh, so they have you know, people who go up to the podium, and they're given the opportunity to speak in opposition of what you're doing. So here we are you know, presenting our case. You know, we, 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 we basically are just sharing the facts. We're giving the, the honest, sincere truth and detail of what we're proposing. And yet you got people who are going up to the mic and who are trying to demand. They're trying to discredit. You know, they're being over the top. They're, they're making accusations. I'm going to forget, there was this one dude. He was probably, I don't know, 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, he was a big guy. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm maybe 5'8 on a good day if I'm wearing my cowboy boots, you know what I'm saying? And so this guy was just like towering over me. He goes up to the podium, and he wasn't even addressing the commissioners. He was looking at me the whole time as he was just like sailing us as a church down the river. And then he finally got reprimanded by the, by the, by the mayor, and he was asked to be dismissed. And as he walks by me, he gets right up in my face. He goes, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. I said, well, Jesus loves you too, you know. <laughs> and so how do you deal with these type of people? Well, that's what we're learning about. And here's a key thought. I really hope you'll take, you'll, you'll take, some, message, or excuse, uh, take some notes from the message today. Because if there's one thing I really hope will maybe just kind of stick with you that you'll walk out of here with, when it comes to learning how to deal with these challenging type personalities and individuals, our response when it comes to dealing with those people, should be like this. Our response should cause people to either reject, respect, or resurrect. Let me repeat that again. Our response should cause people to either reject, to respect, or resurrect. Let me break that down for you. 
In other words, sometimes our response can cause people to not just reject us, but maybe our response causes people to reject God. If we respond in the wrong way, if we respond in an unchristlike way, yeah, we can cause people to walk away from God, to reject God. On the other hand, the way we respond, the way we act, the way we talk to one another, the way we ultimately treat one another may cause someone to actually respect Not just us, but ultimately respect who we stand for, what our message is about. In other words, if they they actually see us live what we say we believe, okay, well, those people now respect who we are because we actually walk the talk. They're, they're, They're now respectful of the fact that, you know what, they may not necessarily agree with everything, but they're saying, hey, I respect where this person's coming from. I respect the way this person has acted. I respect the way this person conducts themselves. And at the same time, there may be some, our response actually is used to resurrect. Maybe there was a time when they walked out on God. They walked out on the church. Maybe, maybe there was a time where they were, they were hurt, they were burned, they were skeptical. And because of our response, because of our Christ-likeness, because of our compassion or kindness, because of our consistency, maybe, just maybe the way we respond may be used to resurrect their faith in Christ, to resurrect their hopes, to resurrect their confidence. And so our response is either going to help reject, respect, or resurrect those that we have the opportunity to come in contact with. Well, Paul the Apostle shared something very powerful in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And many times it's often uh, kind of categorized, if you will, as the love chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But what Paul was talking about was something far greater. And contextually, what Paul was doing is he was addressing a group of people just like you and me. He was addressing the local church. He was addressing the church of Corinth. Now, these people living in Corinth at the time were were exposed to a lot of things just like we're exposed to today as far as a mainstream modern culture that's anti-everything. And so it it was a very vulnerable church, if you will, from the standpoint of the fact that they were They were new in their faith. They were not very strong or rooted in their faith. And so because of that, they were vulnerable to fall into temptation and to basically live like everybody else was living, even though they claimed to be followers of Jesus Christ. And so what was happening is that the church of Corinth, rather than experiencing unity, they were experiencing division because they were fighting and bickering among one another. And not only were there was a not only was there was there a sense of division, but there was also an, an exploitation of the gifts, the spiritual gifts that that God had given to them through the Holy Spirit. So rather than exercising the spiritual gifts the Spirit of God had had given to them to build up the body and to bring unity and to help advance the church and the cause of Christ. Well, what the people were doing, the followers of Jesus, were using their gifts for their own individual gain. They were like children playing with with toys rather than adults using tools. So as a result, they became very divisive and they became jealous of one another. And then not only that, now they were filing lawsuits on one another and they were fighting with one another. And there was hatred and anger and all kinds of discord that was taking place within the church, the body of believers. And so Jesus goes, excuse me, so Paul is calling them out. He's challenging them to live a life like Jesus would live. 
He's saying, hey, he's the example. So what he was doing is he was addressing the church. He wrote two specific letters to the church of Corinthians. And what he was saying was this. He said, hey, we need to be unified. We need unity. We need diversity. And we need maturity in the way we live. And so 1 Corinthians 13 is really a chapter about spiritual maturity and the marks of love from the standpoint of what we should be known for and how we live and how we treat one another. And there are four specific marks of love that Paul the Apostle emphasized in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. And I want you to follow along with me as we read them. Because here's what he said. He said, love is not rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. Isn't it interesting? Four things. He said, hey, here are four marks that should set you apart. Four marks that really should help you demonstrate the true love that Jesus Christ displayed while he was here among us. And so with that said, here are the four marks of love. Because he said love is not rude, notice carefully, because love is not rude, this is our response. We must be kind, not just candid. So if someone is rude to you, you don't respond with rudeness back to them. If somebody says something that may even be, it may even be truthful. But here's the problem. The problem is, is we can be truthful and not be tactful. A lot of times we can be rude, but in the process of being rude, we're actually, again, driving people further away. And so therefore, we must be kind in the midst of our candidness. You know what, you know what rudeness looks like? How many of you have ever been circling the mall parking lot? Waiting on a space. And then you see the taillights of a car coming out on the other end of the lane, of the aisle. So what do you do? You make a beeline. I mean, you, you, you gun it. Man, you go around to the other side. You make a U-turn and you try to come back to get yourself in position. And while you're doing that, somebody else has already jockeyed their way in position. And then they turn in right as you are pulling up. I don't know about you. But don't you just want to pray a prayer of blessing over them in that moment? You know, they did something very rude. I mean, they, they, they stole your parking spot. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just one of those moments where you just like want to go lay hands on them in the name of Jesus, you know. <laughs> but the problem is, is that no, 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 no. We have to be kind in the midst of different circumstances and situations, no matter how difficult it might be. And so whether it's something that somebody does or whether it's perhaps something that somebody says, we must respond with kindness, even with, with candidness. Let me put it to you this way. You can, be, you, you, you can be in a situation where, um, where you, can, you can be talking. Have you, ever, have you ever been in the middle of maybe sharing something? And then as you're sharing your thoughts, somebody just cuts you off. I mean, they just like fill in the blank. I mean, they just cut you off and they, they kind of just butt in and they start talking as you're in the middle of trying to say something. It's, a, it's a very rude. And so at the end of the day, here's what the Bible says. 
The Bible says it this way. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, verses 31 and 32, Lay aside all bitter words and temper tantrums and revenge and profanity and insults, but instead be kind and affectionate toward one another. Has God graciously forgiven you? Then graciously forgive one another in the depths of Christ's love. So a loving person should always respond to rudeness with kindness. I never forget when uh, I was at a restaurant one time and um, the place was pretty much empty, but there was a large group of people uh, gathered together in this restaurant. And uh, I could tell they were from a church group, you know, of, of, from a church nearby. And, I don't, and the only reason why I know that is because I could overhear the comments and things these people were talking about. So that obviously they just come from like a church service. They were in this restaurant. And so they were short on staff, and there was a lady who was a waitress that was serving them. And I don't know what happened, if they got some orders wrong or, you know, what, what the problem was. But these people seated at these tables uh, that were all, you know, merged together there. It's probably about 10 or 12 of them together eating. And, uh, man, they were just giving this lady, I mean, a hard time. I mean, they were, just, they were just being so rude and unkind and very demanding. And they were just kind of like sailing her down the river. And eventually when they left... You know, they, 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 they paid their bill, and I don't know if they gave the, the lady a tip or not. It was probably a lame tip if they did. And, and all of a sudden, I watched. I watched this girl. She, I don't know. She's probably in her late 20s. She, she went back into the kitchen. She had a tray in her hand. She goes back into the kitchen, and they had these little round windows in the, in the double doors there. And she went back into the kitchen. I could see she just put her hands over her face, and she just broke down and started crying. So I walked back to the kitchen. I said, ma'am, excuse me. I said, I, I, I know you don't know who I am. I said, but I just want you to know, overheard the comments those people were saying to you. And I said, I just assume they're from a church maybe nearby. And I want you to know that is not the way Christians are supposed to act. And she, she looked at me with tears coming down her face. And she said, you have no idea how bad I needed to hear that. And again, our response can either cause people to reject, respect, or resurrect. In that case, my prayer is that what I had to say maybe had resurrected her faith. But at the end of the day, our response to when people are rude can make or break. It's the reason why we need to always ask God to help us respond to rudeness with kindness. Number two, if you're taking notes, love, Paul said, does not demand its own way. So therefore, here's our response. We must be understanding, not demanding. We must be understanding, not demanding. In other words, when you think about maybe the, the reason why people respond the way they do, sometimes there's a story behind the story that we don't always maybe stop and take into consideration. But here's what the scripture tells us. In Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7, I love the way Jesus exemplified this. In Philippians chapter 2, it says these words, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, notice carefully, he did not think of equality with God. Some translations say he did not demand his rights. So he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared 
in human form. So when we're dealing with, listen, with maybe maybe uh, excuse me, maybe a, a demanding kind of a personality, it's not that, that we're just to simply lay down our lives and be a doormat and allow somebody to, to walk all over us or take advantage of us or intimidate us or manipulate us. That's, what the, that's not what he's talking about. But we should respond in a way to where we understand that maybe there is a story behind the story. In other words, we need to sometimes understand before being understood. So sometimes we need to always make sure that we're clear and accurate on maybe what we are assuming because if we're not careful, we can fill in our own blanks and what we fill in those blanks with may not be accurate. In fact, here's our homework assignment. Our homework assignment is to try to be more understanding this week around these difficult people we know in our lives rather than demanding. And you know, isn't it, isn't it crazy how easy it is for sometimes um, to be patient with other people that we don't even know or be kind to people like complete strangers, and yet we're rude and unkind and impatient, demanding to the people that we love and closest to the most? Let me put it to you this way. How many of you have ever been in an argument with a family member at home? And you're at each other's throats. I mean, you are just demanding your way, demanding your rights. You're just, you're just telling it like it is. You're going off on somebody. It could be your spouse, could be one of your kids, could be your parents. And all of a sudden, the phone rings. And I mean, like the flip of a switch, you pick up the phone and you say, hello. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, we're doing great. How are you? And you're like, are you kidding me? All of a sudden, we know how to turn it on and we know how to turn it off. It's like parents coming to church. They got the kids. I mean, the parents. I mean, they're doing everything but threatening their lives. And then they walk into church, big old smiles on their face. How's it going? Oh, we're doing great. Had a great week. But you know, at the end of the day, we got to be understanding, not just demanding. Courtesy is showing love in the little things. And I think what happens a lot of times is that even in our marriage relationships, sometimes over the course of time, couples begin to take one another for granted. And as a result of taking one another for granted, they become more and more demanding rather than being understanding and being patient, being kind toward one another. And so as a result, just over time, they just just start becoming more and more demanding of one another. And that's the reason why I heard someone would say a lot of marriages are buried because of all the little digs along the way. And so we've got to just be careful when it comes to how we respond. It's been said that there are three B's. We need to be aware of those three B's behind every person that we come in contact with. There, are, there is someone's background, there are someone's battles, and there are someone's burdens. There are backgrounds, battles, and burdens. And often we fail to understand those three things when we're dealing with people. It might be that somebody's come from a difficult background. It could be that somebody's going through a difficult battle in their life. It could be that somebody's carrying some tremendous burdens and they're maybe reacting or acting out in ways that may not be right. But at the end of the day, we've got to seek to understand what's going on. In other words, there's a story behind the story that we need to be aware of. 
Just like the lady I I mentioned a few moments ago, the waitress. After I learned, after talking with this lady, she had just gone through a recent divorce. She was a single mom working two jobs just trying to make ends meet. And I don't know what mistakes she made. I have no idea what kind of situation may have occurred. But all I know is that in this moment, this girl, she was carrying a lot of burdens in her life. And the last thing she needed was for a group of people who claimed to be Christians from a church to treat her with a lack of dignity and respect. And so we got to understand that at the end of the day, we've got to be understanding, not demanding. Number three, Paul said, love is not only rude, love is not rude, love is not also demanding. In other words, it's not selfish or self-seeking. But but he also said, love is not irritable. It's not irritable. Therefore, I must be gentle, not judgmental. I must be gentle, not judgmental. The difference between use there's a difference between using your judgment and being judgmental. And I think oftentimes we have a tendency to want to point the finger and cast blame and judge one another before we have all the facts. I've come to realize, being in the ministry and being a pastor now for nearly 18 years, people become critical of, of those things they don't understand. And so they, they, they rush to judgment. They fill in their own blanks by false assumption. And so as a result, they want to criticize and point the finger and condemn and blame. But at the end of the day, they criticize what they don't understand. There is a story behind the story And sometimes we need to understand that, listen, who are we to judge someone else because they sin differently than we do? That'll preach. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Because how guilty are we of always wanting to find fault, cast blame, to to take whatever situation or circumstances may be going on away from us and put it off on someone else? And so here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that love is not irritable. And as a result of that, our response is that we should respond by being gentle and not judgmental. Proverbs 15 verse 4 says it this way. This way gentle words are a tree of life and a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. It's amazing how easy it is for people's spirits to be broken and crushed by the things we say. The way we act or treat, act towards one another, treat one another. And sometimes it's just, you know, maybe it's just the, the, the rush to judgment that, that we place on people that crushes the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I believe as a body of believers, at times we can be guilty of not just grieving the Holy Spirit, but quenching the Holy Spirit. God can't work in that way. And so the Bible says it this way in Romans 14, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, each, of, each, each, each one must answer for himself and give a personal account of his own life before God. So stop being critical and condemning of other believers, but instead determine, determine to never deliberately cause a brother or sister to stumble and fall because of your actions. It's so powerful. So love is not rude. Love is not demanding. It doesn't seek to demand its own way. Love is not irritable. And then fourthly, love 
keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. So what is our response? Here's our response. Because love keeps no record of being wronged, our response is that we must delete it, not repeat it. We got to delete it and not repeat it. So how do you respond to somebody who's brought hurt and disappointment to your life? Well, the Bible answers that question in Mark 11, verses 25 through 26. And I love how it captures it in the Amplified version of the Bible. The Amplified basically means it just kind of, it's like it just kind of puts a spotlight on it. And here's what it does. If you have anything against anyone, notice what it says, forgive him and then do what? Let it drop. Leave it. Let it go. In order that your Father who is in heaven may also forgive you your own failings and shortcomings. And let them drop. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your failings and shortcomings. So here's what I've come to realize. I've come to realize, and I'm guilty of this in my own way. I've come to realize that when you think about how we may respond to people who have hurt us, there's typically three things that a lot of people do. that They repeat it emotionally in their minds. So they allow whatever offense, whatever hurt, whatever disappointment. It's kind of like you've been to Publix and you've seen the rotisserie chickens, how they just spin. It's kind of like the rotisserie grill of our minds. And what do we do? We just kind of rehearse. We, 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 we go back through, you know, the things that somebody said, whatever it was that somebody did. And we just rehearse it. And we play it back over and over. We repeat it over emotionally in our mind. Another thing, we repeat it relationally as a weapon. So what we do is we say, okay, well, you hurt me. Okay, well, I'm going to hurt you back. As a matter of fact, now I'm going to take the hurt that I've experienced and I'm going to inflict even deeper wounds on you so that you'll never be happy again. So we spend the rest of our lives trying to make other people miserable when they've already moved on and we're the ones who are left holding the bag. We're the ones who are living in a self-imposed prison because we're still living incarcerated to the anger and the disappointment and the, and, and, and the, and the unforgiveness of our hearts. And then we repeat it verbally. In other words, we like, to, we like to share and build our case with an audience of other people. You have no idea what this person said. You have no idea what this person did. That was not right. They should have done this. They should have done that. They should have treated me. They did this. And what happens is we, we try to get a following. We try to get an audience. And, and anybody that will bend their ear, I mean, we're all over it. You know what? Paul said, hey, church, the body of Christ. Wake up. Those are signs of immaturity. No wonder we're losing ground. And no, no, no wonder we're no longer effective when it comes to loving better and shining brighter to a world that's living in spiritual and moral darkness. Rather than live like the world, let's live different from the norm and let's love better and let's, let's let God's light shine brighter in the way we live. So therefore, rather than holding on to offenses, let's drop it. Let's let it go. Delete it. Don't repeat it. Give it all to Christ who died on the cross for our sins. 
And so that's what we have to do. That's what we have to do. And I love what Proverbs 19 verse 11 says. A wise person demonstrates patience. For mercy means holding your tongue. When you're insulted, be quick to forgive and forget it. Notice, for you are, a, for you are virtuous when you overlook an offense. Don't allow what happened to you to be bigger than what Jesus did for you. Jesus died, spilt his blood for your sin, for mine, and for the sins of the world. So there are four marks of maturity. Love is not rude. Therefore, we should respond to candidness with kindness. He said, love does not demand its own way, so therefore, we need to be understanding rather than demanding of others. He said, love is not irritable, therefore, we must not judge. And he said, love keeps no record of being wronged. Therefore, we need to delete it and not repeat it. We, we have to allow God to fight our battles for us. God does not need you. God does not need me to fight those kinds of battles. God is the ultimate judge. And allow him to do what only he can do. He's in control of all things. You can't change people. You can't control people. You can't change situations or circumstances. Only God can change people's hearts. Only God can change situations and circumstances. Only God can turn things around. There's a couple in our church. In fact, it's a family, beautiful family, goes to our church. And um, unfortunately, like many, they went through a difficult time and season where the marriage began to fall apart so much so that they ended up going their separate ways the husband and the wife ended up getting a divorce and um, just broke the hearts of so many that knew them and again you see you, you have you have a hard time just watching you know people go through that kind of pain and disappointment and hurt and so as uh, this family continued to work through all of that yet going their separate ways. The wife, she began to dig in a little deeper with our church. She started getting involved in a life group and she started really growing and really flourishing and thriving in her spiritual walk. In other words, she began to really run and chase hard after God. God began to do such an incredible work in her life. She was growing so much spiritually in her life that God began to bring healing to her heart from all that she was carrying. Well, her ex-husband began to notice the change in her life. He began to see her growth. He began to see her fire and her passion back for God. Well, come to find out, 
that through her witness of just living her life, learning how to love better and to shine brighter, God began to do a work in her husband's life. And lo and behold, they started going to church together. They started dating one another again. And they've just recently come back together. And as a family, they are reunited, restored, reconciled for the glory of God. And if a couple like that, if a couple like that can learn how to delete it and not repeat it and embrace the goodness of our God, how much more? Should we learn to love better, shine brighter, and to demonstrate these four marks of love to a world that desperately, desperately needs it? Amen? Let's fire hit.